All right, beautiful humans. Welcome back to another episode of Naked Sunday. I'm your host, Caleb Nelson, and I have my friend Guy Shahar here on the episode today. Guy, thank you for joining me on Naked Sunday. Thank you. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here, my friend. I promised you before, you don't have to strip down or anything like that. I laugh a lot because a lot of people are like, wait, do I got to be naked on this show? I'm like, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the idea of it. We'll go that that in a second. But in the, in the spirit of nakedness, you know, one of the things I start every episode with is why I appreciate my guest. I do this one because it's an act of me, like opening up my heart, welcoming you into this space. We have never met in person. We've only done this virtually. Like, but to me, it's like hosting the space and I also think we just need to start telling each other why we appreciate each other in general. I think it's the first step to world peace. I don't know. Call me crazy. I think I'm crazy, but whatever. But that's a fact, like we met on one a networking meeting and like a five minute meeting, 10 minute meeting somewhere along those lines. And then we had another conversation and you just have this very kind, deeply caring soul about you, especially when, and we're going to share a little bit about your story and about your work like that doesn't come from nowhere and you're very true to it. You're very real with it. And I don't know, like you just care. You just give a damn. You can't fake that. And there's something that's so deeply meaningful to me about that, how you show up very authentically. You're, you're in your work. It's pretty obvious that you're just, this is more than just about making money and all that stuff. This is about really taking care of people and helping people feel better in their life and um, especially in your charitable, charitable work. Like I think that's really phenomenal. So I definitely want to get into your charitable work today as well. Um, but that's what I feel about you, my friend. I think you're a fantastic guy and I'm just so grateful you decided to hang out with me today. Well, thank you. And um, this authenticity piece, it's, it's almost not a choice for me. You know, in, in a sense, life would be much more comfortable if I was able not to be authentic and to be comfortable with that. But I never have been. And, you know, I went down um, eventually uh, after a shaky start, I went down a very conventional career route and ended up working in a in one of these big multinational blue chip companies. And it just felt so wrong for me to be there. And the work that I was doing, it just felt like it had no meaning. And I tried for too many years to be inauthentic with that and to just do it anyway and to just bring in the bread and butter. And uh, it, it ended up giving me a, a, an entire health collapse. So um, it, it just wasn't feasible for me. So that, you know, then, as you say, I, I, I ended up launching a charity. And then a, a few years later, I ended up launching the, the healing business that, that, that I run now. And I feel so much, so much better doing those things because those things are more about who I am. And, and, and I don't, you know, I don't think I can feel comfortable if I do something that's not who I am. Well, to that effect, this is probably my favorite question to ask people. You know yourself better than I. Please share with our audience, Guy, who are you? Who am I? What a, what a profound question. Mm. I don't know if I'm even qualified to answer it. Uh, You're better qualified than you? I. <laughs> you know you. Only, yeah. only marginally. Um, <laughs> who am I? Well, I can tell you about me. I can tell you about the path I've been through and so um, where do I begin? I'll begin, um, I'm actually gonna begin uh, 11 years ago mm. um, when my son, who, uh, you know, he's, he's 12 now, he was one at the time, um, he started regressing and we didn't know why. So he started withdrawing from us. He started not communicating with us in any way. He started getting very frustrated about the basics of life, even, even with playing with his toys. And he ended up spending most of his time <clears throat> melting down, not being, uh, not being interested in us at all and, and being really uh, distressed by anything that happened, anything that he couldn't make work the way he wanted to. Um, and we, uh, we understood after some time that he was autistic. Um, and we weren't, we didn't feel we were getting the help that we needed through the conventional health system. So we did our research and we found a, uh, um, a, a treatment for him that we, you know, we, we took him to Israel actually. Um, and it was a three week, very, very intensive program where this is about me, by the way, we'll just get there. It's just the long way around. It's okay, um, my friend. I'm enjoying we, the story. 
Yeah, well, they, uh, in this clinic, it was very, very specialist. They only treat children up to two years old. Mm. Um, there's a whole clinic that's, um, uh, that's dedicated to one family at a time. And what they do, essentially, they put him in a room for eight, nine hours a day and play with him. <laughs> but they, they're very, very uh, well-trained. They really have a really good understanding of children and of autism. And they play with him in such a way as to make him feel safe, as to uh, to give him that that sense that it's it's okay, and it could actually be rewarding and fulfilling to look outwards and engage with other people and, and interact with them, and to build trusting relations with them. And at the same time as doing all of that with him, they were working with us to teach us how to interact with him in a way that made him feel safe, because what often happens with autistic children is that um, the parents, however loving they are and caring, will not understand the differences in neurology of the autistic child and what sort of uh, ways of communication are necessary for them to feel safe. So they'll uh, normally respond to them in a, you know, in, a, in a threatening or warning way very easily, as you would to a child who's not autistic. But to an autistic child, that sort of thing could be debilitating. And there's a lot of other things that can be debilitating. And so when they're you know in their view assailed by all of these influences in their very early years they switch up switch off and shut down and and, and cut off because it's the only way to protect themselves so we were so fortunate to go there um and, and we learned how to create an environment around him where he felt safe and it really you know the child we went home with three weeks later was totally different from the child we actually went with one little thing i like to say one little part of uh, of the story is when we were going there, you know, just getting onto the plane was a nightmare because he was addicted to his his pushchair. Uh, and when we got on the plane, he had to get up and give it to the cabin staff. This promoted an enormous meltdown. Um, we had to hold him the whole uh, plane journey. They almost threw us off the plane just before we took off because he was screaming so much um unfortunately he just went to sleep before we took off when we were allowed to stay on the plane um and it was the most hellish journey um on the journey back he sort of jumped up from his pushchair he sort of happily um gave it to the, the cabin staff he held each of us he put one hand in mine and one hand in my uh, wife's hand um and we just walked onto the onto the plane like a really happy family it was oh. such a transformation um and that was a real turning point in my life. It was not only in uh, my relationship with my son, which was, you know, the, you know, in some ways it was the greatest gift, but also in, in the direction my life took. And it didn't happen immediately. But, um, you know, I ended up leaving the multinational company, fortunately, having a health breakdown at that point, uh, which sort of pushed me away from that. Um, and starting an autism charity, so I, I run a charity now called Transforming Autism, which, which is about providing those sorts of opportunities to families with young autistic children and, and helping the parents to, to, uh, to learn some of, these, some of these ways of making their child feel safe and building that nurturing relationship with them. Um, through that work um, and through meeting various you know, authorities on autism and, and, and experts, uh, I, I, I discovered that I was autistic. It was confirmed by, you know, one of the world's leading authorities on autism, uh, which I had sort of suspected, but um, I was a little surprised by the speed at which he answered the question before I'd even finished it. It was very, very obvious to him. Wow. Um, so, and also that made a lot of sense of a lot of the experiences I went through in early life where I wasn't, um, you know, I always felt like an outsider. I always felt like, you know, the, there was something wrong with me because I wasn't fitting in in the way that people were expecting me to fit in. And I wasn't responding to people in a way that they expected. And that led them to treat me in a certain way. And, and, and so it made a lot of sense of all of that. Um, and again, in my, in, as part of my recovery from, from my collapse of health, I, I ended up trying energy healing. Um, and this led me to very, very unexpectedly, because I never thought that this would be something that I would actually do myself. You know, in one session I had, I, I just had this really strange idea. You could do this. Um, and uh, I, I almost dismissed it. I almost just said I was stupid. Of course, I couldn't. But I thought, well, 
I don't know what that voice was. Let's let's just follow it. Let's just see what happens. And I started to do some research. I started to learn one of the modalities that I'd been receiving, and I found that it worked for me, which I which I'd never have, I'd never have imagined. Um, it worked for me. It worked for my family, and then it started working for for friends and family, uh, and people started referring people to me and and then i realized i had to start a business so i'm i'm doing that at the moment uh and, and actually probably more more than any even though i'm based in the uk um more of the majority of my clients i would think come from your side of the atlantic wow. and i think it's because people over there are much more open to this sort of thing it's it, it's a more standard way of uh moving forward and making progress so i don't know if that gives you much of a sense of who i am but it's it's an opening anyway well, my big takeaway is for if I was to describe you as a human, is that you're very purpose driven and you're very focused on obviously the vehicle of healing people is also a vehicle that helps support this charity that you founded. It's clearly very near and dear to your heart because it's also deeply associated with your family, with your child, with and a personal connection. Yeah. Um I love everything about it. Like that's, I think there's a lot of people out in the world who just feel like an outsider anyway. It's funny. I just got off a call right beforehand. I was like, I've always felt like an outsider. So you say, my wife also thinks I'm a little on the spectrum too, by the way. Um, and she's a teacher and she's got to like work with kids all through that. Um, maybe one day I'll go get diagnosed. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, I think just like, especially nowadays there's so many people who don't know how they they don't feel like they fit in like they might be able to get close but not the perfect fit and how you were saying before is like for me it's it might be easier if i knew how to do it the other way around but clearly it wasn't like because all these conventional ways these block models of just like go down this path and that's the way it's going to be like and I think we're coming to a place in history where the burnout, the mental health breakdown, uh, I don't know if it's physical associated with, but I mean, mental and physical people want to think like it's, they're dissociated, like, no, they are married like that, like it's going to happen together. And having been somebody who's coached a lot of people through some physical transformations, it's a real thing. If you try to just separate the two, you're going to come back to square one anyway. Um, I think a lot of people can just resonate with that. And I, I love, it's ironic how sometimes like a perceived tragedy or perceived really, really deep, painful challenge of like, I mean, I can't imagine, I'm not a, I'm not a parent. And one day I hope to be blessed with that opportunity, but man, I can imagine so many parents are like, I don't know how to connect with this, with my baby. How I can't imagine what that pain is like when you're like, this is, this is literally a piece of me that's growing into this living, eating, breathing, sleeping, thinking entity. And I want nothing more than to be able to connect and to guide and to support. So you sharing just that, I mean, I hope it gives some parents out there just listening to that piece alone. And that's a bit, yours is a bit more of an extreme from that perspective. I don't even know where to go right now. I'm just like, I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, feelings. On, on that piece about, you know, people losing uh, connection with their child. And, it, you know, it happens with autism, but, you know, it happens generally as well, because, because as you say, we live in a world where, um, you know, the predominant values, the values that we're directed towards, the way of living and the motivations that, that are expected from us are not the ones that would come from us when we're in our optimal state. Mm. Um, so there's always that conflict. There's always that way of, you know, that decision we have to make, and we often make the default decision just because it's easier to fit in with the expectations. Um, but it's a very fear-based world that we live in. It's a world where, you know, why is there all of this animosity between people, between countries, between uh, things, you know, we put out, we belong to something, we belong to a company, or we belong to a to a tribe or to a town or to something, and we sort of identify it and, and make the other um, somebody who we have some sort of negative feelings towards. It's all very much about, you know, 
um, ensuring our survival and fearing at the base of it that 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 if we don't if we don't do that if we don't make somebody else the enemy um, they have they have a, um, an equal right in the pecking order as we do which we don't want because we're fearful that there's not enough to go around um, so we choose the negative. We choose to fit in with this way that doesn't resonate with who we are, doesn't resonate with our humanity. And there has to come a moment where we get saturated with that. And as a collective, we say, no more. This is enough. As a species, we need to move on from this. We need to leave this in our past. It's some way off, I think. But you know, we might not see it in our lifetimes, but it has to happen at some point. Um, and with children, with, with this losing the connection with uh, children, when a child is born, very often they're much closer, at least much closer to that innate humanity than than we are, because we've given, you know, however virtuous we are, we've given so much of it away. So when they lose their connection with us, or we lose it with them, it doesn't matter which way around it is, it's so important to recognize that the seeds of that connection are still there. The potential for that connection is still there. And with my son, there were things that I understood in retrospect. So for example, um, he totally lost his connection with us. You know, there was nothing. He, you know, for, for months, we didn't get more than a quarter of an hour of very difficult eye contact from him. But we still took him out. We still took him out in his little, you know, what do they call it? The little bouncer thing that you have around your neck. Um, and we still sort of tried, we still talked to him in a very loving way, and we still sort of bounced him and played with him, even though we were getting no response. And in retrospect, I can remember images of his face, and there was like, you know, just like a quarter of a smile, just almost undetectable. I wouldn't, I didn't recognize it as a smile at that point. But later, as he was starting to come out of himself, these, these sort of very, very small signs of connection they were there and he was still connected very very much and it's just that he was traumatized all the time um you know just because of this this you know be, be, being autistic he was extremely sensitive and so the, the sorts of things that destabilize us all are much more destabilizing to autistic children so he was traumatized from this the whole time and so he wasn't able to manifest you know i, I find this as well when i'm when i've had a huge shock uh, I can be knocked out of balance for days and I'm sort of not, I just don't have the, the emotional strength within myself. It's like I'm in, in sort of real post-traumatic stress. I don't have the emotional strength to manifest who I am and what I am. It's, it's just like locked inside of me. Um, and the upside of that for a child is that there's always the possibility of creating that environment at any point, creating that space where it's safe for the child. And if you do early enough in the child's life, um, you know, they can maybe leave behind some of that, that trauma that they had in the early days. One of the themes that was like resonating in my head around that, I had a friend of me tell me this. He asked me this question once. He's like, what's the greatest minority on the world? And he goes, I was like, I don't know, the individual. Yeah. Oh, my head exploded. And I was like, hmm. well, you brought up and the reason why I bring that up is we're so divided culturally everywhere in the world, us versus them, countries, political parties, religions, all of the things. But there, what you were saying there at the end is that if you can help cultivate an environment, you just like, people won't realize like you can just like, just because you leave one tribe doesn't mean you can't start your own. and doesn't mean that you even need to start a new tribe. It's like, hey, I'm going to be here as an individual. This is how I'm going to operate in the world. You want to learn how to just interact on a one-to-one -one basis anyway? It sounds more fruitful, but I kind of what we're, I think we're bringing up as an underpinnings of all of this is like this fear of like, don't die, don't die, don't die. If I'm not part of the group, Am I going to be ostracized? I'm going to be kicked out having gone through a few faults in my day. Like, know what that feels like. And I got to imagine, like, 
I can't remember exactly. I'd love for us to dive a little more into it because I, I remember it. I know it's a little fuzzy in my head right now how you explained it about like, how did you say it? Like the rules by which you're, you're like your son or anybody who's autistic, it's a little more rigid in terms of like right and wrong. There's not a lot of gray area between right and wrong within that from like a fundamental standpoint, but like very individual to them very individual and and which brings another like thought to mind as you brought this up about like when we're a baby we're probably closest to that true love dare i say that humanity that real humanity how do we protect that how do we like encourage that fuel that and maybe perhaps in what you're talking about and maybe the the kids who are more autistic like lean more into like this is my humanity this is really who i am yeah. Could you enlighten? Like, I'm not. I'm. I know for a fact I'm not illuminating what you were talking about. This, <laughs> what, this conversation maybe six to eight weeks ago, and I'm like, that stuck out with me. I, I've still been ruminating on it a little bit more. I, I I thought that was really profound. Could you share a little bit more about that? Um, kind of remind me a little bit more because I'm not. I, I I'm not remembering <laughs> what I said about that. Well, it's kind of along the same lines where you're saying like, if I'm not really in alignment with myself, like yeah. I get blown out. And like, you see, I think you said something to the effect of like, like an autistic child won't like the, if there's like a rule being broken or something like that, they take it much more seriously or yeah. there's not. Okay. Well, I think I mean, it was around think, that. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things I've come to, to be doing through the charity that I did. So um, it came about, you know, I, 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 before starting the charity, I wrote a book about the experiences that we had on the, on the visit to Israel. And I gave a Ted talk about it, which, I think has just hit a quarter of a million views, which I'm really, wow. really pleased about. Um, but, you know, and it sort of puts forward a different conception of autism um, that has actually gone down very well with the autistic community because the preconceptions about autism that most people have are that it's, um, it, it's a set of impairments. Autism is impairment, and it's about identifying what those impairments are. But if you look at each of them, uh, these are not areas where autistic people are impaired. They're areas where autistic people simply have a different neurology. They process information differently and they express things differently. And in some ways, um, there are things about autistic people and, and the autistic condition that are modeled for the rest of society to follow almost, but they're very often not recognized. And one of those things, I mean, you talked about authenticity earlier on. Authenticity is something that that is not an option for autistic people. It, it, it's a, th there's no choice. You know, the only thing that could get an autistic person to behave inauthentically is when they're so overwhelmed by other people's expectations and just want to meet those expectations. But there's an authenticity to that as well, because mm. that's based on, on, on connecting and wanting to please somebody else. Mm. Um, and so I think that's why when I was in this, um, this corporate environment, it just felt so wrong. I couldn't make, you know, 90% of the people in, in there probably hated it as well, but they could reconcile with it. They could separate that off from their lives. They could say, okay, well, I hate this work. It's meaningless. It, it just achieves nothing for the world, but it's what I have to do to, to bring in the money. I'll just put it on the side and, and live the rest of my life uh, in, in the way that I choose to. I didn't have that option. It, 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 it is part of my life. It can't be, nothing that I do is separate from the rest of my life. It's, it's one thing and it all has to be authentic. And if it's not, it's like there's a huge screeching alarm going off that, that doesn't switch off and, until I bring myself back into alignment with who I am. Mm. Um, so whether that takes days or months or years, uh, that, that's the only outcome, that or, or, or opting out of the whole process altogether. Um, so where did I, where was I, what was I talking? I'm sorry, I've lost my thread. You... It was a beautiful thread, actually. I just, in many ways I'm resonating. I'm thinking about some contract work that I did not too long ago. And it was like, sure, I could have made a buck or two here and there, but like, it didn't all line up. And it, yeah. for me, that's a, that's a big deal especially where I'm at in my life. Yeah. So everything you're talking about leading into expectations, I think this is a universal thing that's starting to be like, well, what are other people expecting of me? Yeah. Are they in alignment with what I care about? 
How are we being communicated with? What is these pressures that I'm succumbing to? Is everything just to make a buck? Like, this is a very interesting time we live in. So while we might have like, we'll call it this further end of the autistic spectrum being more like it's very visible and obvious, I think we can use this as a really powerful underpinnings for be like, wait, this is actually might be what's going on subtly for everybody. And wherever, I mean, I think everything's a spectrum anyway. It's like, well, my end of the spectrum I'm starting to feel this. What if I could become more aware of this? What if I could have more of an honest conversation like you're talking about, I mean, there's perhaps an interesting blessing in the fact that like not being authentic is not an option. You yeah. have to be true to you. What if we all had to be true to ourselves? Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder what kind of problems we would solve. I mean, I think, well, one problem leads to another problem, or let me change that. Solving one problem leads to a new opportunity, a new challenge, but what if we all just were authentic? What if we all were just there? We would again, I think we'd be presented with something new that we could never understand, but like, maybe that's where we start. So I thought, I think that this, perhaps this symbol and this opportunity to, to work on this, I don't really want to call it a problem. I want to call it like, this is an observation. This is something we're working with. How do we integrate this, uh, this form of an extreme end of the population of like how this, how these people, like this subsect of people work this way. What could we learn from that? What are some really beautiful lessons we could take from it? And again, I'm saying this, I'm resonating with a lot of what you're talking about. My filter and my, my uh, the bells and whistles, you know, red flag going off because things don't line up for me is far more sensitive now yeah. than it was 10 years ago. And I mean, I think I just muddled it years ago because of fear or everything you just talked about, fear of being rejected or not being accepted or like, I gotta not die. Like I gotta build a business or I gotta, whatever the thing is. I think it's really common right now. So that's, that's the, I like, we try to make things so like, this is just this field or that field, but there's, there's these underpinnings and these, these foundational concepts between both. And I think that's so, so powerful that you're bringing up. That's why I like, I wanted to lean into it a little more because just, it sounds like your own journey to being more authentically you and accepting that is, has been really a blessing in so many ways. Because if I'm not, I just get this voice screaming in my ear or screaming in my heart to be more more precise that you know it's just not going to leave me alone um and if you think about you know if you have this world where everybody is authentic what's inherent is that is respect for other people as well mm. and uh, an acceptance of other people's who because if everyone's going to be authentic everybody's going to bring who they really are there aren't any sort of expect you know you have to you know, it's the opposite of the corporate world where you have to show externally enthusiasm for the company and loyalty and excitement about some pointless new product <laughs> that the company is putting out. There's none of that. It's all, you know, everybody's going to be manifesting what's important to them. And if they're going to be doing that, they inherently have to be respectful of other people. I think if everybody was like that all the time, we wouldn't have language we'd be we'd be using telepathy all the time because we wouldn't be we there wouldn't need to be boundaries we wouldn't need to filter um our uh our communication we, we'd be able to let people see deep inside us without worrying because we know that who we are is okay we know who the we know that um they know that I know that what they think, I'm going to get very complicated about this, but you get very the meta. Idea. Very meta. Yeah, I'm with you there. All well, brings around <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think- it's like there's no barriers. Everybody can be open. And one of the things, again, about autism, which, it, and, and I was saying this before I found out that I was autistic. So it's not about me. You know, this is like four years ago, I found out that it was me. Um, you know, again, one thing that's totally not recognized when you're just talking about all the impairments, all the things that autistic people find difficult in supposedly is um, that values are so important to autistic people. They're not something that you can just put to the side, you know, just and what are the, I mean, the values are not around greed. They're not about acquisition. They're not about fear. Um, and, and I think really, I mean, it's sort of, this is a sort of idea that I'm sort of just playing with. It's not, it's not fully formulated. It's not, I'm not sort of taking any big stand on it or anything, but I'm suspecting that one of the big differences between autistic and non-autistic people, and of course there's a boundary and there's people on either side of the boundary, is, but is that um, 
that fear that drives society and people in society to worry about their place in the pecking order, their survival, their fear of being abandoned by the by the tribe. That's not there in, in autism. It's, it's not a driving force. It doesn't make sense as a driver of behavior. And I think that, to me, when I look at my life, that's been, that explains a lot of the confusion a lot of the the sense that I haven't been able to make out of people's observation, of people's behaviours, and people's motivations. It's like because it never made sense to me that fear could possibly be an in, an incentive to do something that's not authentic, that's not right, that's not respectful of other people, that's not um, that doesn't contribute to a better world. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's another uh, another. <laughs> And so these things are here. I mean, these, um, I mean, autistic people, I think, are here as an example in uh, of what we can all become. Um, but that's not being seen. You know, that that the lessons we can we can learn from autistic people are not being learned because we are instead uh, thinking of them as an aberration, uh, thinking of them as being disabled in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really unfortunate that we only look at the negative. We're not seeing like, well, this is a this is an opportunity. There's a lot of everything you just showcased right there. Imagine we all stood that strong to our moral compass. That might be crazy. Like, and we're not trying to the the pecking order stuff or the us versus them. If that's not a thing, wow. And I've did a lot. I've this has become interesting like like near and dear to my heart i go through my facebook memories all the time just the other day i was looking through it we had a group they were called high five and there was a bunch of uh kids autistic and down syndrome we had a lot of like a lot of special needs um i gotta tell you it was some of the most fun work i've ever done like when they came into our gym we played like choo-choo drain and like crazy just silly fun like play when you brought up play i'm like oh and it's so pure you see the joy, it's unfettered. They don't give a damn. Like, I'm happy. This is me. Deal with it. I, there's something so pure about that. I just, I don't know. And like, there's this weird, like, judgment thing that I've, I've had plenty of parents that I've worked with that, like, their children were autistic and like, this guilt. And so, like, a kid doesn't fit in the same thing. Yeah. They, they don't, they don't need to burden themselves with that. Like, yes, there's going to present some other challenges especially where it would certain end of the spectrum, but like this also could be a really amazing blessing that we could all be learning from. Who knows what we're going to learn about ourselves and who knows, who knows what like blessings they're going to bring to humanity because of something as powerful as this, this, this value structure. I call values like your math to the morals. Like maybe we should focus more on that in this day and age. And I love that your company is called Heartful Healing because- <laughs> We're so stuck up here in our head and don't get me wrong. We need to use logic. We need to use like using math is valuable and using logic is valuable, but like our heart is telling us something too, man. And I'm just ranting a little bit right now, but no, no, it's true. And it it comes in. Well, I mean, the heart has uh, an electromagnetic field that's hundreds or thousands of times stronger than that of the brain. Mm. And that's for a reason it's, you know, it's the heart that that has, has the greatest influence on the world the brain is great as a as a as a tool of the heart almost as a way of sort of um manifesting what we what we conceptualize in the heart but it's not great as a driver it's not great as a decision maker i mean it's good at making the decisions about how but not the decisions about what not the bigger the life choice decisions and and the healing comes in because you know we've been talking about sort of all the all the uh assets that are inherent within autism, but it is true that autistic people have high levels of anxiety. It is true that autistic people have difficulty with social interactions. However, these difficulties have got nothing to do with, in in my understanding, we've got nothing to do with autism at all. These difficulties have got something to do with not being accepted with who they are from a young age, with their, you know, way of communicating, not being accept you know just the tone of voice you might hear it in me i've got a, a tone of you know autistic people when they when they speak just because 
of the way the neurology works, the, the way the intonation comes out, it can be misunderstood as being sarcastic or judgmental or critical or something like that when, when you know, that's not the motivation behind it, but just because of the sound and people react as if that's the, as if that's the, the intention and, 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 and it leads to a very unsafe situation for the autistic person. So Tony, a British professor, Tony Atwood, he's done, you know, he often says that, um, He's a uh, British professor working in Australia, a world expert in autism. Uh, he often says that when he gets groups of uh, autistic people together and they talk about the biggest challenges in their lives and the things they have most difficulty with, most commonly thought of as the symptoms of autism, he says, well, these things, these are nothing to do with autism. These are the symptoms of anxiety. You know, if you're going to be... Uh, if your way of expressing yourself is constantly met in a negative way, you're going to have enormous social anxiety and you're going to have problems with social interaction. But there's no there's nothing inherent in you or in the autism that is, is causing that. It's just that non-acceptance. And there's been some really interesting research done lately by a lady called uh, Catherine Crompton, who I am <laughs> I've been meaning for ages to get in touch with and, and do an interview with her. But um, She's done some research on, on social uh, skills because, you know, it's, it's con commonly thought that autistic people have problems with social life. And uh, a lot of autistic people were telling her that's not true. Mm. Um, you know, they were telling her the sorts of things that I was just telling you. Uh, and so she did some research. She, got, she, she looked at some groups of people. She, she got um, groups of autistic people. Um, put them together, groups of non-autistic people and mixed groups, you know, and she put these people into pairs um, and had people observing them and have them go through certain tasks and, and, and to see what the outcomes were. And she had ways of sort of, you know, assessing how socially connected and, and how much these people follow social cues and so on. There was no difference between the results uh, of the autistic pairs and the non-autistic pairs. They were identical. You know, give or take, and in some things, the the autistic uh, pairs did better than the non-autistic pairs. The group that really struggled was the mixed group, where there was one autistic and one non-autistic person. Then the then things didn't flow so well, and they didn't flow so well because the way that they expressed themselves meant different things to each of them. Mm. But when you're in a society where one or two percent of the population is autistic and ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent is non-autistic it doesn't look like it's just a difference between communication styles. It looks as if there's a small group that's got the problem and that's what the perception is. Um, and because of that perception, autistic people are very often in the situation where they, uh, where they do get real problems, not from autism, but from the way that they're treated in the society and how the fact that they don't fit into societal norms and the ways of thinking and the ways of being and behaving in society uh gives you know puts them in a position where they where they they suffer mm. so that's where my healing comes in and that's where i really transformed my life because like two or three years ago i was far more stagnated than i am now and it's through the work that i've been able to do on myself that i've been able to find a deeper dimension of myself and uh you know to be much more at peace with who i am um and it's been, you know, it, it's been, it's been a really remarkable journey for, for me from that perspective. But also, also in terms, you know, it's also very, very satisfying in terms of making the differences for other people. You know, for example, if someone has physical pain, very often, especially if it's a recent injury and it doesn't have sort of decades of, of building up, often it's, it's so common to be working with them in in the space of half an hour to see that pain just fall away, to see restricted movement return. It's it's just a really really nice thing to be involved with. Hmm. Well, I think that's really powerful. I think people are starting to open their mind to what we talked about before, the mind and the body are not separate. They're, one, they're connected deeply. And you know, I've, I've received some work similar to yours with like trapped emotions and things like that. And what you're speaking about to some people, like, oh, that sounds really woo. I'm like, nah, like think about like how the amount of people I know that they'll they'll talk about an injury and all of a sudden they're like their knee blows up or like acts up when they're thinking about it like why is your knee throbbing it wasn't hurting you for days before this or weeks before this you haven't incurred as trauma again you haven't you didn't like bump your knee you just thought about it and all of a sudden it's hurting 
if that's not a key indicator of like, there's probably something more going on here and we probably need to take a look at the bigger picture. I don't know what is. <laughs> People can choose to follow their own path if they want to do it, but especially when we're talking about something you're, you know, bringing to the table here. Like we're, I got it. I mean, share some of the stuff that, that you typically see, like what, what somebody's like, Hey, I'm struggling. What tends to be like a common theme of that walks through your door, pun intended, I guess, like virtually, no, virtually or in person. Well, pain is pain is always a popular one because you know people have injuries all the time. People have chronic pain, so pain is pain is a is a big one. Pain restricted movement, but often it's just this feel. You know, it could be it could be uh, manifested in different ways, but generally it's just this feeling that everything isn't right. It could be that that's come up after a life, uh, you know, after a bereavement or something like that. Um, or it might be, you know, somebody having had what they consider to be an un unhealthy relationship with alcohol or, or, or other substances that they want to finally do something about. Um, it could be people uh, finding themselves trapped in patterns. Like, for example, was one lady who uh, is just as simple as whatever she did, she always felt she was on, on her own. Nobody mm. ever assisted her with anything. She was always helping other people. But when she had something to do, she was always on her own. And that was a nice one, actually, because we did a few sessions on that. And then one day, I think it was after the third or fourth session, she wrote to me, she said, Guy, it's amazing. Yesterday, after our session, literally seven people came up to me. Some of them I knew, some of them I didn't know. And they offered to help me when I just didn't expect it at all. It, it, you know, and it's like when, when these things happen, it's about us. It's about what we're putting out. Um, so yeah, it's great stuff. Wow. I'm curious, do you attract a lot of parents of autistic children? A few, I've had a few. I, I wouldn't say it's an overwhelming amount, but um, it's fairly new business. It's because people don't really know me yet, haven't really found me that well yet, but, uh, but I have worked with some and, mm. and it has been very helpful. I mean, I could just see that being such a profound transformation for them especially in the relation like you like a lot of times especially in like healing work how that yeah it's a really broad term so like you know i'm, I'm cute including a lot of like service-based type of thing where as a practitioner i know like you gotta have a big heart you really, you really do but so many practitioners are carrying so much weight and i would even go so far as to say like the parents are practitioner in many ways they're the one guiding their child through this. Like what I loved about, um, you said the, the, the clinic in, in Israel, it was not just treating the child. Yeah. It was not just examining them. They were teaching you and helping you and healing you like, and you and your wife, like, oh, it's a bigger thing. This is a holistic yeah. thing. And being able to have that understanding and being able to talk to you, be like, oh, you get it. Oh, you understand me. Like, obviously it's not your kid that like they're like, but it's like, Oh, he gets me. He understands yeah. what it feels like to not have your kid look back at you or a certain way or, or something like, did you, I, I don't know why this felt like bringing this to mind, but like, um, I do know why I brought it. Cause it, it, I thought about this moment. Have you seen the movie that won uh, best picture, uh, Coda? I haven't. Oh, I've never cried in a movie more in my entire life. My wife and I sobbing. A week later when she went away, I put it on just to have a good cry. I was, I'm not going to give away the thing, but there's just this one moment that I thought was like really profound for me. It was like, so CODA stands for child of deaf adults. Okay. I think it's like, um, I think that's how I said it. That's what it is. But anyway, there's this moment where things zoom out and things go quiet and like you're, you're observing from the parent's lens. And the only thing that came to my mind was like, as fate would have it, it was not too many days before or after I looked at that Facebook memories of that group that I was working with. I was like, and I had a few parents also at my, at my wellness center, if you want to call it, that were parents of, of uh, severely autistic children. I was like, oh, like, while this might not be exactly that type of thing, it was like, oh, like they have to find another way to connect with the world as they're looking around and trying to find, like, is this good? Is this bad? I don't know. It's like, and I'm like, and I'm telling you tears just running down my face. Like I had chills running through my body. Like, oh, 
this is different. And there's some other moments in there. And again, I don't want to give it away. Yeah. I was deeply moved by this thing. And some people, oh, it's a little light. I was like, no, no, no. From that perspective where I'm just like, I thought that was really, really like a profound and very creative way of capturing empathy for somebody who is engaging the universe in a very and engaging society in a massively different way and is looking to connect with a loved one and hopefully i haven't older oversold it for everybody i have one best picture so like whatever maybe like i'm good anyway on it but like there was a puddle of tears on my on my chest it was my wife's tears but we were joking like was this caleb's or was this mine you know we were posting on social media let's vote a tear cocktail a tear cocktail it was I know I just took it on a random tangent. I don't even know where I started from, but like this empathy thing of being able to understand where somebody else is at is what a really beautiful platform that we've used. The word authenticity has come out and authenticity has come out in this conversation so much that like, what if we were all just engaging as individuals? And what if we were all being like, hey, what if I put myself in this individual person's shoes? How would this relationship change? And the fact that you said that, like, hey, the only group that had a problem was like the, the mixed group, like the other, they seem to know how to function when it's like, these are the rules, but like from an individual one-to-one basis, what if we all learn to just be, show up authentically, Yeah. say, hey, I'm going to struggle, like know our weaknesses, know where we struggle and say like, hey, by the way, this is where I'm coming from. I'm not here to bother you, take you over, piss you off, anger you. Other side, like, oh, cool. Like this, it might come out from me. I, I tend to communicate this way. It's not because of blah, 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 blah. It's because of blah, 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 blah. Oh, okay. It allows somebody to come into your world and go, oh, okay. Like now I understand. So when I see that, I don't need to react with a, I'm going to get hurt kind of fashion. And that's. Well, I think, I think we've all got the capability to be like this. And it's interesting because, um, you know, there've been times in my life when um, I felt that people who are not autistic were very open to me and I've been very open to them. And, and, and uh, those times have been when I've been traveling and met other people who were traveling as well. Mm. And I think when we're in a new place and we're meeting new people, it's maybe unconsciously we make more allowances for them or maybe unconsciously we know that we need to fit in with a new environment that's not our new other our normal environment and, and we make adjustments in ourselves. But we have that capability. And if we can access that capability, uh, you know, it, as we're living our lives, you know, why are we not thinking like that? Why, why do we not have that traveler's mindset when we're going down the street uh, or, or walking you know, in, into a new place and meeting new people every time? Because really it would seem to be uh, what we need what we all need you know what i think that right there is going to be the title of today's thing the traveler's mindset <laughs> we could do a book on it we could i i love that you brought that out so i speak french as well and uh, i used to go to france every year for about a month until i was like six 16 and it takes a bit now from when i get back into it but like for a long time like i could just routinely just think in another language and what you're talking about there is that it's like we step into this new space we start to see that the world in this environment is very different than what we're used to it quote unquote works whatever that means it's functioning it's still there it it i would even so far as say like it begs you to question like your framework of how you think about the world in general of like my way is not the only way. Let me, out of respect, say, "Hey, I'm gonna try to fit in here because this is not my this is not my stomping grounds. I'm not. I don't run the show here. I want to understand." Again, empathy. Trying to think in somebody else's language. Trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Take me through your culture. Take me through your space so I learn your customs, so I can better engage you. So when we do have, I mean, I like to ultimately believe it's like we're always building up to the point where we're going to have to have a frustrating conversation where we just don't see eye to eye completely okay so when we do have a disagreement how do we engage that so we don't destroy each other (laughs) i think a lot of what life is building up to is that and we probably reject that earlier because we don't feel safe enough to go further into that i think a lot of people from the perspective of like 
They won't do with business with their friends. They won't invest in their friend's business or as, invest as a client or they won't blur lines or don't do it with a family. It's like, well, I mean, if you can't do it there, if you don't learn how to navigate a hard conversation with those people, it, okay. <laughs> what if you do solve that problem? I'm pretty sure you'll be able to, to navigate that elsewhere because that's might be the most emotionally driven space that you could be putting yourself in. It's a great training ground. What a, what a cool thing. So I think that the traveler's mindset really allows you to, to maybe walk in empathy and walk and also allow yourself to show up as authentically as possible too. Like I am just the individual here. Okay, cool. Oh, that was, I love that you brought that out. That was really, really cool. You're right. That might be a book. I think there could be a book on that one. That's, that's been lovely. What attracted you to the type of uh, uh, energy work that you do or the, the, the type of healing work that you do? Nothing attracted me to it at all. Um, you know, I, I was, I was uh, receiving it myself uh, after my, uh, you know, health breakdown. Um, uh, and when I had the idea that I could do it myself, it, it kept, literally came from nowhere. It was like a voice, my voice, but a voice in my head. Um, and I almost dismissed it. And I was just like, what, what, what's this? I, this is not something I could do. It's just in a session, I just had this idea, you could do this. Um, but I, I followed it up anyway. I didn't ignore it. I followed it up and I did a bit of research on one of the modalities that, that, that I, I was receiving. And I found that it worked for me um, and, and that I could do it and that it was working for other people as well. I mean, one of the first things that I had this searing back pain once um, and it was all inflamed and everything and, you know, wasn't going to get any sleep or anything. And there was nothing I could do about it. And my wife said, why don't you try this emotion? I said, the first thing I learned was the emotion code. Why don't you try this emotion code uh, that you're learning? And I, it hadn't occurred to me. And I was going, well, I suppose I could give it a try. It <laughs> couldn't hurt. Um, and I just released a bunch of trapped emotions. Um, within the session itself, the pain halved. And it went on uh, reducing throughout the evening. I went down and told my wife and she took a look and she said, oh, but you know, the, inf the inflammation's all gone as well. Um, so that all happened during the session. I slept well that night. You know, I woke up with far less pain in the morning and, and within a couple of days it was gone altogether. And I thought, there is something in this. Um, and then the same happened to my wife. She had an, uh, an accident when she was out and she, she damaged various parts of her body. And, and it was interesting because I did some work on her um and she didn't know i was doing it you know i did some work on her foot i think and and um, i came down and she went god you know my foot's feeling a lot better at the moment and it was just you know it was just after the work that i did on her so um it's like when i had those experiences it was like well i, I can't just leave this i've <laughs> i've got to do something with this it's, you know at the beginning it was just like well let's see what happens Let, let's just do it for fun see what works but when i saw the results it could have it was like i have to do more with it yeah, that's beautiful. That's so amazing, especially it's so weird sometimes when we're like the thing that we struggle with the most eventually becomes the thing that we lead people through. <laughs> but I think there's something, a power in that. And like, I went through that and it's the, I'm one step ahead. I want to help you through it too. The empathy, the love, the generosity in that it's. And that's it's why fun. I think you don't, you don't find many healers or many sort of uh, good healers in their twenties or thirties, because they need to go through, <laughs> through a horrific life. You know, there aren't many peelers who've had a, who've had a, a peaceful and, and happy, and, um, you know, and blissful life. Because why would they be healing otherwise? Yeah, it's an interesting double-edged sword, right? But you then start to look at, you know, perhaps that you see the same way. But like, I look at a lot of my own stuff. It's like, well, I'm grateful for it it was all leading to what I can do now. And, and probably similar to you, it's like, had I not gone through that, I couldn't hear or see or feel that thing that that person is telling me right now. It would just like, there'd be a smoke screen in front of me. I wouldn't be able to pick up on it. But because of that, more finely attuned, more aware, more observant, more capable to support that, which, you know, obviously it's pretty obvious that you're just, you just want to help people feel better. And like, what can they do if we feel better? What if we feel less threatened in our bodies? What if we feel less threatened in our minds and our hearts? 
I have yet to find somebody who's truly healed who like wants to go out and start problems. Like they just want to go help more people. It's a crazy idea. I know that it might be a great place for us to all like be good with each other. But I don't know, yeah. again, maybe I'm I mean, one of one of the first things I do with anybody um, is, you know, it, it's it's a thing called a heart wall. You know, it's almost like everybody has this layer of protection, energetic protection that they've put around their own heart at a traumatic moment in their lives. Mm. Um, and that protects them. You know, it's good. It's good. It does a job. It protects them from something that would otherwise be unbearable. But the problem is that usually when the situation passes and when they want to rebuild their lives, when they've extricated themselves from the from the traumatic situation and they want to rebuild something, that wall is still there. And what that wall's doing there, and it's, it's sort of blocking them sort of communicating in a clean, pure, loving way with other people. It stops that natural giving and receiving process. Mm. So when you bring this heart wall down, I find it's the most significant moment for people sometimes people immediately feel there's a change in their lives um and that the way that they're relating to other people even people in their own family is totally transformed with me i you know i nearly gave up the emotion code when i released my own heart wall and you know i was expecting the next day to feel <laughs> like i was floating on a cloud and nothing happened it's like well this is this isn't this hasn't worked i'm not doing this for people but what i did was i took a note of the date and six months later, I looked back and I found that my life was totally different six months later. And the point at which it started to change was when I got rid of this heart wall. So whether the results are immediate or whether like they come six months later, uh, it's such a powerful thing to do. I'm really grateful to be able to do that. I don't know if I shared this with you, but and again, I'm really enjoying your company today, but the fact that you talked about releasing the heart wall maybe i did share this with you but when i received my emotion code work um she's phenomenal mind you her name's jen and um everything was around everything for the first three sessions was all around the heart it was like there was a big old scab around it so if everything you're talking about i had some emotional releases at that moment but like as i'm saying this this might have been six months ago so like okay. your timelines there <laughs> it's <laughs> the first one i should say because i had three and i think they're like over the course of a month and a half month month and a half something like that spread out might have been closer to two months i can't remember exactly um but the timeline around that is very interesting and, I, and to that effect i think a lot of people are always looking for that magic pill moment but especially when i think of more like the heart it's got to flow when the, flow, the heart opens up like it's got to flow to all the extremities it's kind of like the blood flow and everything. Like that's the way I think about that. And I visualize that transformation. Like, are you going to start by feeling more grounded in yourself? And like, where, like, are you going to, all those things. It's not just here. It flows to all systems and all systems must be functioning together. And this is my like physical background stuff. Like all systems must function together because they all function together all the time. But if the center is not okay, you're kind of kind of off so um again i don't know if we had talked about this last time but that was i don't was, think so i don't i don't think we mentioned it well there we go that was a little impromptu like hey by the way <laughs> a kind of an inadvertent testimonial for that kind of work that was um that was a uniquely profound experience for me and it like again and because it, it goes through like the different ages and all those things like there might have been one or two other things other places on my body but like literally 95 to 99 percent of all the things that were brought up hard stuff so yeah. um i would dare say that's the kind of place where we all start anyway so um that's really cool that you're doing this type of work and i know it's it takes i think there's a lot of bravery and courage that goes into it i really do because i think it's looking it's looking beyond just like the one way like I've been people got up say like I've, I've been banging my head against the wall this traditional way maybe I like I need to incorporate more it's not to say dismiss all the other things in fact incorporate the other things but like have you in, integrated the other parts of yourself as well and I think that that's really cool what you're doing here um obviously I know you got something coming up in a few minutes and I got a couple of things coming up as well so I want to be respectful of your time but like if somebody's listening right now and they're like 
I like this guy. Pun intended. <laughs> How, like, whether it's with the healing work or they're inspired by what you're doing with, uh, it's called Transforming Autism, correct? The, the, the foundation of yeah. your charity. Beautiful. How can they get in touch with you? How can they connect with you either to support the charity or to get some healing work with you through Heartful Healing? How would they be able to get the best contact? Either way, there's, there's websites for both. So uh, the, the charity is transformingautism.org. Um, and the uh, the healing website is uh, heartfulhealing.co.uk. Beautiful. Um, or find me on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. We can, we can have a chat. I love it. Well, I'm going to put all those things in the show notes. And I don't know if you sent me the the video for the TED talk, um, but I'll okay. put that I'll put the link for that too, great uh, in the thing because I think that's I think it's awesome, especially if you've risen to that stage. Like, what a powerful platform to be able to share your message. It's super awesome, uh, guy. I, I deeply appreciate your time today. Appreciate your vulnerability. Like, anything else you want to share with the audience today? Any words of wisdom? Anything. <laughs> Wisdom, I don't know. I don't know if I have any wisdom, but <laughs> you shared a lot. Of, to me, you've shared a lot today of wisdom, so I appreciate it. But it's been great. No, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation as well, Caleb. You've made it very natural, very easy, and and I appreciate that. It's my my pleasure. You're you made my life easy to talk to somebody interesting. Like shucks, really had to pull my arm to hang out with somebody cool. Um, but I, I really appreciate your insight into some of these things, and um, yeah, it's like. You're just another great person out there in the world trying to like help others like this this your type of message and your voice needs to be amplified and it's my distinct pleasure to be able to share a little bit in that and hold some space for it um but thank you so much i'm going to make sure like i said everybody who's listening all those things will be in the show notes the contact all that stuff um thank you again you're awesome it's everybody listening until next time i remind you to love every body